I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read verses uh, 15 down through 21 and then consider uh, verse 18 uh, down through verse 21. Before we read and look at uh, the passage, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we uh, pray that you'll uh, work in us what we need. Uh, each of us needs to grow as your people more, uh, in some ways more than what we might be comfortable with. And so we pray that you'll give us strength to be uncomfortable, strength to handle what the Holy Spirit might do as we take a look at your word. And for any of us here who might not know you, whether we're aware of it or not, we ask that you work powerfully in our lives uh, to bring us to yourself. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 5 at verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me read again, beginning at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus far, God's word to us this morning, may he bless it to our hearts and lives. Beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here uh, this morning, again, we're in the uh, part of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians where he is uh, dealing with Christian uh, behavior. It's not uh, or shouldn't be conceived of as moralism. If I do these things, God will somehow love me more or I will impress him and therefore he'll save me. Uh, he's talking to uh, those who he's assuming are believers, uh, he already got done explaining to them how we're saved. It's by the electing love of our Lord. Why did he save me? Why did he predestine me for adoption? Simply out of his love. It's amazing. Our, our salvation came entirely from God. He took dead people and raised them to life. He took people who were far off and brought them near. And so now he addresses those people that are alive and says, here's how I want you to live, which assumes something. Uh, what Paul is assuming, what the Holy Spirit is assuming, what is reality, beloved, is that once we're alive, we can actually uh, live differently than we lived before when we were dead. That there's a rear spiritual life in us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ comes and live, lives in us, and that it really matters. Uh, it's impossible to put a 500-horsepower engine on a motorcycle and not notice the difference between that and the stock engine, right? You'll now do 300 miles an hour, and you will uh, probably not be able to hold on with just your grip it's impossible, beloved, to put the Holy Spirit inside of a person and see no tangible difference. I, love, I think Paul Washer has the illustration that somebody pulled off the side of the road. If, if, if someone showed up at a meeting late, if they were supposed to teach and said, look, I, I got a flat tire on the side of the road and I stepped alongside the car and a Mack truck just bowled me over, hit me square on, <laughs> just laid me flat. And so I was a little bit late to the meeting. <laughs> You'd say, that's ridiculous, right? If you got hit by a Mack truck, you wouldn't be here. You, they're, they're, you give no evidence of having been run over by a Mack truck at all. Uh, beloved, uh, sometimes we as Christians can think that same way. 
Yeah, I'm a believer, but it shouldn't really matter for my life. Beloved, the Holy Spirit's living in you and me. Christ is living in you and me. It will matter. You will see the difference, and it will be encouraging. God just doesn't forgive us for our sins. He actually starts cleansing sin out of us. We're not just saved from the guilt of sin, but also from the power, right, as the song goes. Cleanse me from its guilt, salvation, but also its power, sanctification. So I want us to be keen on where we are in the, in the passage. Paul's not talking about how to be saved here. He's talking about how to grow once we are saved. This is sanctification. This is what it looks like. And, and I trust you've seen by now, as I've seen as well, some of these things get right down to the nitty-gritty. The Lord is very specific. Uh, the Christian life looks like something. Uh, it's very practical, beloved. And this morning we run into uh, what it is to be filled with the Spirit. So I want us to just walk through the passage. There's actually... Uh, five participles, uh, verbs, uh, I-N-G endings that describe what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Two of them are kind of combined, singing and making melody. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, I want us to take a look at what Paul says we should not be doing. Uh, do not get drunk with wine. Uh, <laughs> it's, do not be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. There's a, there's a, there's a contrast here we'll notice in a minute. What Paul is not saying is that drinking is inherently sinful. Uh, he's, uh, in fact, the psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 104, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. So wine uh, can, can be a good thing. God, God made it. He made grapes. Grapes ferment. Uh, it's a process he put in place. Ecclesiastes 10:19. bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. Uh, John 2, Jesus turned the water into wine on his first miracle. Uh, and it wasn't just uh, a little bit of wine, it was lots of it, <laughs> and it was really good wine. So clearly the Lord is not against wine and against the drinking of it. Therefore, Paul's not saying Christians must never consume alcohol, but the Lord is against drunkenness in the life of a Christian. Drunkenness. And we might say, well, what does it mean when I get drunk? Well, the Lord actually kind of walks into that when he says, in which is debauchery. So what does it mean to be Drunk. The word for debauchery is actually used in Luke chapter 15 to describe the language of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there, is, and there squandered his property in reckless living or debauchery. Same word. So uh, where we run into problems with drink is when our drink leads us into reckless living. That, that's when we can know for sure that, we're, that we're, we've gone too far. Reckless living means we don't have control of our tongue. What we're saying is not appropriate at all, and we, we can't stop. We don't have control of our life, of our urges, of our passions, right? Remember, we're in a war against the passions of our flesh. They wage war against our soul, and it takes our mind to be about us to be able to, to, be able to conduct that war. Or what Paul's saying is if we, if we drink too much, all of a sudden the passions of our flesh, they're going to start waging war, and we're not going to be able to fight back. And so our flesh can overtake us. The temptations of the world can overtake us. The devil can walk right in and really turn our lives upside down just from drinking uh, too much. Uh, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, put it this way in Proverbs 21:17: Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So part of reckless living can be, look, like we drink all the time. We're just going to be absolutely poor. How many people aren't there who are absolutely dirt poor and homeless who've just given themselves over to a life of drinking, to a life of just nonstop drinking from morning till night. Proverbs 22, 21, uh, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and, and uh, 
slumber will clothe them with rags. Uh, another passage of Proverbs 23, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Uh, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. And then Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Beloved, when we're tempted, I, that, that imagery in Proverbs 23 of don't tarry long over, over the wine, don't look at it when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it looks really good and tempting, don't sit long over it. Walk away from it. Uh, it, it's, it could be the devil's way of just taking us down to live a debauched life, not a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, let me just say as a side note, I think this uh, probably just needs to be said. Uh, in our Reformed world, where uh, most of us are probably not Baptists, um, so we, a lot of us will, would not like teetotalers. I know this is in Springfield, Missouri, where most of the Christians just didn't touch drink, and they thought if you have any alcohol in your house, you're of the devil. Uh, but sometimes we can go the opposite direction, beloved, and say, hey, what God made clean is clean. We can eat and drink anything, uh, which is true. But there are times, beloved, when uh, uh, we do well to abstain from alcohol, not maybe for the sake of a brother or sister, but maybe even for our own sake, that we're prone to things that we don't even realize. And so uh, there's been a lot of study done. John MacArthur has this massive study, if you want to read it. It's really helpful on what's the difference between wine and in Jesus' day and our day. And his argument is that wine and alcoholic drinks are way stronger in our day uh, than, than they were in Jesus' day. Whether there's merit to it, I don't know. But it's something to consider and think about, that it is so easy to lose control of our senses. It's so easy to get drunk and then live a wild, chaotic life. And Paul says, look, don't do it. <laughs> don't be drunk because that will just lead to reckless living. And we're called to live in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and live lives which are just very different than the rest of the world. I want us to focus then on but be filled with the Spirit. And notice particularly in verse 18 that word but, be filled with the Spirit. It's not just your average contrast in the Greek, kind of a little bit of a transition. It's actually the word but, like total contrast. Rather than being filled and drunk with wine, you know, filling yourself up with wine, filling ourselves up with wine, we're actually called to fill ourselves up with something else, the spirit. So instead of our wine glass, as it were, we have our spirit glass. The but is emphatic, it's decisive. The, the language of the command here, too, is be filled in the present tense. And it has to denote with something that we continue to do. Now, we're only baptized with the Spirit once at conversion. But this being filled with the Spirit is something that we continue to do. And it almost suggests this, that we can have times when we're not as filled with the Spirit as others. Our filledness of the Spirit will fluctuate. Um, something else I want us to notice is that this is a command. Paul's telling Christians to be filled with the Spirit. It's, in the, it's an imperative it's not an indicative, hey, you're filled with the Spirit. It's no, as Christians, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that's something very important to, to notice. Uh, it's not a command to be saved. It's a command to more and more come under the power and the influence of the Spirit. There's, because this contrast is set up between being filled with wine and the kind of life that equals and being filled with the Spirit and the kind of life that equals, I think it's worth pointing out, beloved, that whatever we're filled with controls us. If we're filled with alcohol, we will be controlled by alcohol and live a reckless life. 
What Paul is saying is if we're filled with the Spirit, we'll fall under control of the Spirit, and this will issue forth. And so he's saying, look, instead of being drunk all the time and being under control of alcohol, be filled with the Spirit and be under control uh, by, by the Spirit. Um, something else I want us to notice about this notion of being filled with the Spirit um, is uh, the reason Paul is telling people not to get drunk, Christians not to get drunk, is because there's a temptation to do so. Paul writes all these commands to believers, born-again Christians, and he writes them to us because they're practical, because the Lord knows our temptations. So it shouldn't surprise us, beloved, if we see a drunk Christian. Some of us might be tempted to act like, well, how in the world could they possibly do this? There's no way they could at all be a believer. Paul's writing to Christians here in Ephesus saying, look, uh, don't get drunk. Why? Because Christians were getting drunk, because Christians can get drunk and do get drunk, and it's sin, and they need to repent of it, but it's not the unforgivable sin. Again, maybe I'm, I've got too much Baptistic <laughs> Assemblies of God background in me from Springfield, Missouri uh, to, to, uh, to feel like I have to say that. I hope that's straightforward uh, to each of us here. Something else that's worth noticing is that this passage, um, Ephesians 4.18 down through Ephesians 6, about halfway through the chapter, has a parallel passage in Colossians 3. It talks about the same things, almost using the same language in the same way. They're both written by Paul, obviously. And we might be asking, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? How does this work? And Paul almost answers that in his letter to Colossians, where instead of writing, be filled with the Spirit, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the way the passages are parallel and set up, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, goes right in place of be filled with the Spirit. So, in Paul's mind, they seem to be the same thing. And I think, I think that's true. So what is it to be filled with the Spirit? It's to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So if we're sitting here saying, look, this life of addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, of submitting to one another, of making melody in our hearts uh, to the Lord, that is so attractive. I want more of that. How can I be filled with the Spirit? Uh, there's two ways it can happen. Number one, let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Again, uh, I, I, I think sometimes it's exhausting to hear uh, pastors who uh, spend their time in the Word to tell people they have to study the Word for an hour a day or they're not going to grow. But I, let me put a different slant on it and put it a different way. If we don't spend time in the Word, how will we be filled with the Spirit? Uh, how, how, how is it possible? And I think the Apostle Paul would say it's not possible. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to spend a certain amount of time in the Word a day. It doesn't mean we have to even have to do this every day. Some of us have copious amounts of Scripture memorized. We're like walking Bibles, right? You, you cut us and we bleed the Bible. Uh, so, so again, that can be a great benefit, beloved. In, in, in that case, we can let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly by simply recalling what we've already memorized and know. Uh, beloved, if we have no contact with the Word of God and we, we, we have no relationship with the Lord through His Word, then it's going to be impossible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just nearly impossible. And, you know, don't discount uh, Sunday gatherings. Wherever it is that we worship the Lord, whether here at Hope or whether somewhere else in Peller, all over the world, wherever we are, that can be really valuable. Remember, the early Christians, they didn't have uh, each a copy of the Bible in their own home, right? <laughs> so when they came to church on Sunday, they're, they're listening to what Timothy might have had to say if they're in Ephesus. So they're they're, they're, I, I want to read this word. I want to I hear this. So it was a lot of an oral culture. I want to store this in my mind so I can carry it with me throughout the week. Uh, there's even a, a benefit to, to Sunday worship so that we can be filled with the Spirit. 
The second way, though, I think to be filled with the Spirit is this, biblically. Number one, to know the Bible, to study it, to read it, to ingest it, to, to realize it's, look, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But secondly, it's to pray for the Holy Spirit. Remember that, uh, the, that instruction from Jesus in Luke eleven thirteen. how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Look, you ask, your, you ask your dad for bread, he doesn't give you a rock, right? No. Well, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how can I be more and more filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask the Lord. I've asked myself this, I'm asking you too. When's the last time you've asked that the, Holy, that the Lord would fill you more and more with the Holy Spirit? When's the last time we've prayed that prayer? It should be, uh, you could argue, a daily prayer. Lord, fill me. Uh, help me to see the glories of Christ. Fill me up with your word. Fill me with your spirit that, that what he loves and is trying to form in me would be what I love and what I want to be formed into. Uh, that's a prayer that guaranteed our Lord, he will, more so than your dad or mom will give you bread to eat, God will give us the Holy Spirit when we ask him. When, if we fail to do this command, we will fail in almost all the other commands. I think that's worth mentioning too. Uh, John MacArthur has this illustration, which I think is helpful. We are like a glove. A glove does nothing on its own. We can do as much work as a glove can sitting on our desk. It will do zero work. The only way a glove works is if you put a hand inside the glove and something moves the glove. And beloved, we're just like the glove without the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing. Uh, all of our obedience comes out of uh, strength he supplies. All of our Christian life is empowered and strengthened by him. So to the extent that we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to do much in our Christian life. To the extent we are filled with him, uh, we will do much. Uh, Francis Chan has this children's book uh, called The Big Red Tractor. Kids love it. It's a great book. Uh, he grew up not hearing much about the Holy Spirit uh, in church, and so he wrote this book to try and teach about the Holy Spirit. And in it, there are a bunch of villagers that would every year uh, plow their field with this big red tractor. Sorry to the green folks. Just Yeah, uh, if you're a John Deere fan, this one fit well. You can color the tractor green. Uh, but the villagers would get together every year, and they'd have the plow on the back of the tractor, They'd start the tractor up so the engine is running, and then they'd tie ropes to the tractor, and they'd pull it, and they'd push this tractor through the field. You can imagine the kind of work to do that, right? They're manually moving a tractor through the field until this farmer Dave gets the idea to read the book, the, the instruction manual, because he's thinking, there's got to be more to it than this. Surely they wouldn't make this tractor this big and heavy, right, if we were supposed to manually pull it through the field. So he reads the book, tells the other villagers, hey, I think this thing can move on its own, and they laughed at him. Well, one night he figured out all about a transmission. <laughs> and so he plows the field that night, and the villagers are amazed. And then they plow other fields as well. And then there's tons of food now. And instead of taking weeks to plow this field, it only takes a day. What he discovered is this, that you can have the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, and all his benefits and blessings and everything he's earned for us and everything that's ready to empower and strengthen us, but remove the Holy Spirit and we're like a tractor putting away in a field with no transmission, no way to plow fields, no way to do the work, beloved. So I, I want to impress upon us just this much. Take away the Holy Spirit. Not only are we not saved, but even if we are saved, we, just can, we can do nothing. We're not, we're not going anywhere. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit into our lives, beloved, to save us and also to strengthen and empower us.
Now, what does this look like if we're filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what, what will our lives look like? What will we find in our hearts? What will we find displayed in our lives? There's actually four things that I want to look at, and they just go, again, participle by participle if you're a, an English lover and love diagramming sentences. Uh, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a result or a, a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it, not, not the fruit of the Spirit in the technical sense, but it's, it's a result of being filled with the Spirit that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's literally that we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can dice these words apart. Um, the word psalms likely just has a reference to the Old Testament psalms. Uh, if you take the language of Jesus, when he's talking, he refers to the psalms. Um, uh, it's just probably what we come to know as Psalms 1 through 150. Uh, uh, hymns are likely a reference to hymns in the New Testament. Again, I don't want to be too technical. There's a lot of exceptions to this. Uh, some of those hymns uh, 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 are... I wrote it down, and I didn't even put it on here, this sheet. So I can't... First Timothy, or First uh, Timothy 3.16 is a hymn. Uh, who was manifested in the flesh, seen by angels, taken up in, in glory. That's, a, that's an early Christian hymn. Philippians 2 uh, verses 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and goes on to talk about his servanthood. Um, that is considered by many to be an early Christian hymn. And then spiritual songs are those songs which are motivated by the Holy Spirit, wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, that's how uh, many uh, interpret this notion of, of spiritual songs. And some look even to the songs in Revelation as uh, those songs which are, are spiritual songs. What's interesting is that we're, the result of being filled with the Spirit is that we address one another with these. Now, likely, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to, you know, uh, instead of, hey, how you doing? How, how, how's life? How's your week? How's your relationship with the Lord? Hey, when peace like a river attendeth my way, oh yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know, that would, that would be kind of a legalistic, oddball way to talk to each other, right? But what, what this is likely envisioning is our time together in corporate worship, uh, this one in particular. Uh, Paul's going to talk about what goes on in our hearts uh, in just a minute, but he's talking about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, literally speaking to one another. Well, when does this happen? Well, it happened in the life of the early church as it happens in our day when we get together and we sing. And it's an interesting notion that when we sing, we're actually addressing one another. Now, we oftentimes tend to think of our singing and of our addressing one another in terms of singing to worship God and praise Him, which is indeed what He's going to be talking about.